confidence. So you listen to big band records and you imitate the rhythms of the child choruses of the big band. You know, you listen to Charlie Parker and you go, you just take a, a minute and, okay, okay, and you're trying to figure out what kind of articulation to do with your mouth, you know? Some people think they're words, but they're not words. Cause that's like, imitate, you know, come up with some kind of nonsense words. That's a lot of pressure and weirdness. And most people feel really silly doing that. Hmm. Probably as they should, <laughs> you know, sweet, sweet, sweet. I would feel silly, you know, I do feel silly doing that. But if I think of it as articulation, you know, short notes, dat, dat, dat. Okay. You know, I'm imitating a saxophone. A trumpet. Like, okay, that sounds like uh, the kind of tonguing that I might hear from those classic jazz instruments like tr trumpet and saxophone. Mm. So when it's articulation, then you're just trying to imitate the articulation of the band, of the horn. Then you get into the harmonic stuff. And so you learn to sing the thirds of the chords on every downbeat. And you practice scales and you practice arpeggios and you, you know, just, I mean, a good place to start, honestly, is just sing the melody with scat syllables. Like mm. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That's usually where I start, honestly, with a group of people who've never done it. And just trying to swing it on duh. Add some notes. You know, take away notes. Just try and try and swing it. Add notes. Take notes away. Add other notes that you might hear. Most singers could easily do this, but they don't think it's serious. Oh well, but that's not scatting. It is. It's Absolutely scatting. That's what it is. The songs just get a little more involved and the chords just change a little more frequently. So then you just say, okay, what's the roadmap of this tune? Then you get the chordal roadmap and you start by embellishing the melody and then you start by learning the thirds on every chord to try and get the roadmap. And, but the rhythm needs to always be there. Always, always, always be there. Otherwise it's the wrong language. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And anyone can do it. Oh my goodness. Gracious. Like anyone could learn French. I could learn French. Why shouldn't I? Maybe I should. <laughs> Let's learn French. Let's learn French. You know what? Yes. I say yes. <laughs> or we. <laughs> yes, or we. <laughs> right. Let me ask you this. I mean, being somebody who, you know, started off as you did, like doing classical music, being an instrumentalist, harmony singer, you know, these days with like so much more information available to us, the internet and, you know, social media and all of that. Um, what do you think is a good place to start as far as um, a person researching a school to go to? Mm. Um, because, yeah, since you, you know, you started that, like, maybe, you know, I want to be in pop music or, you know, I want to be in classical music. Even if you, you know, make that shift, I suppose, what do you think is the best way to research? Well, I think in this day and age, finances kind of play a part. Yeah. It really doesn't help anyone, I think, to be $200,000 in debt with a music degree. 
I mean, unless you can afford to do that, you, you know, but if you're like, I don't think there's a reason with as many great institutions as there are now, I don't think there's a reason to have to start your musical life, you know, $300 in the hole. So that's like my first thing is just mm -hmm. look for scholarships, look for grants, look for, get amazing grades so that maybe you could get a national merit scholarship, you know, but try and try and, and be really proactive on the scholarship front and, and, and look at all kinds of programs mm. um, and see what they have to offer scholarship wise. That really helps and just what their tuition is. So that's number one. Number two is on your instrument, whatever it is, who's the private teacher? Mm. Sometimes people don't even know. They'll go to a musical, I don't know, and they don't even know like who's teaching on that instrument. And sometimes it's someone who's not even there very much, or mm. it might be someone who's retiring and they are going to have an interim for a year and then they get, you know, like, right. it's, and it's going to be kind of in transition almost the whole time you're there. And they didn't know that. I mean, it might be that that's perfectly fine, but but it's good to just research, like who is teaching you what you're going to private, the private thing in, in music is such a huge thing. Right. Where you work out so many of your personal goals, you know, um, and your technique and all, all of that. So the private teacher, I think is kind of a big deal. And then I would say, um, maybe the surrounding city, what opportunities are there for performing? Yeah. Um, some schools, with the private teacher thing, like you'll never study with a major professor. So it's like, oh, so-and-so teaches there and that's cool. But research, like who gets to study with that person though? Like that, yeah. that's another thing. Um, or do you have to drive to their house in order to study with them and they live two hours away? I don't know, sometimes that happens. So just kind of know all the information. But what else do they offer? Do they offer technology classes or? business, any business classes there that might be handy. Mm. Um, do they offer, what, what's the ensemble like, the main ensemble that you'll be in? Are they good? Do you like them? Do they tour? Do they perform anywhere? Cool. Mm. All of those things, that, that would be, yeah, that would be what I would look for. And then go visit. Oh my gosh, go visit. That's, oh, if I could say one thing, it's go visit. <laughs> um, that would be the thing. Because you really get an idea about a school, about the culture, about the vibe, about the student um, kind of attitude, and whether people are pleased or, you know, are they kind of, is it more of a negative environment, a positive environment, a really fun environment, a really, ooh, this is very competitive and you feel it in the air, you know, what's, what's the environment like? And what's the city like? And go visit. It's just a wonderful thing to do. And you will al almost always know in your gut leaving. I know exactly what I think of that place. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, do you see like, have you seen often that students uh, may just go to a, they may just go to school because their parents wanted them to go to school. So they just kind of apply somewhere and I see that every now and then I do. Yeah. Yep. Or they, their parent was a very successful musician mm. and they feel like they should follow in their footsteps or they, they really think, Ooh, that, that would be great to 
to follow in the footsteps. So then they really realize, yeah, that's that's actually not me. It's not what I want to do. I mm-hmm. admire my parent, or I feel pressured by my parent, or whatever. But that's that's actually not who I am. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it, at UNT anyway. It all works itself out in the wash. Yeah, because when people are not where they should be, they don't thrive. Mm. that's just end of story they don't thrive you're not where you're supposed to be you won't thrive mm. and so when someone is not thriving here we work very hard to find out why there's always a reason why right you know is it a personal thing or is it a i am on the wrong path mm. and i don't know what else to do and you know so we find let's find your right path so it's it's good um, I've run into this, you know, doing my podcast, we have events, um, and a lot of listeners are people who had given up singing mm-hmm. and then they decided to come back to it. You know, mm-hmm. um, they became discouraged for whatever reason. Um, do you have, uh, I don't know, thoughts about that in general. And also have you had students like older students come into your path and and what kind of advice do you give to them what have you seen success wise answer 10 questions at once (laughs) (laughs) i love that question because i have seen that a fair amount yeah i've seen all of those scenarios i've seen where someone got discouraged but then after several years trying to go on a different path they realized wait a minute I love music and I need to do it. I need it for my soul. I need to do it. Maybe they were encouraged by a teacher along the way that was not a good teacher, you know, or by a parent who was like, music, that's unstable. You'll never be successful. What are you crazy? And, but they, maybe the parent wasn't aware of all the different ways one can have a stable life in music, actually. Mm. Um, so I, I understand the fear. I absolutely do. But um, there's a way to do it. Again, if you, research the path look at you have to find a role model who's doing what you want to do research the path get on the path mm-hmm. you're done you know, you'll you'll achieve it so uh then i've seen people who later in life maybe in retirement even mm-hmm. um, they come back to it um we have definitely most definitely have older students here i've had students in their 40s 50s absolutely yeah you know, maybe they were a working singer but they were never, um, they have holes in their education. Right. Like, no, I never learned to read music actually. So they sing like a million bucks and they perform and they've toured and all the things, but they can't write their own charts. They can't make their own arrangements. They can't self a company. And it's always felt like a little thing nagging at them. You know, mm. I've seen those people come back. That takes guts. Yeah. I admire them and they're always better for it. Always. Mm. Um, I've seen people after, you know, something really profound happened in their life and then they want to come back to music. Yeah, for sure. And then I've seen people who did something else their whole life and like bucket list, they're 60, you know, whatever, 60 years old, 65 years old, and they want to learn to sing for the first time. Mm. And they can, and they do. Mm. Anyone can sing. And anyone can pick it back up at any, there's no expiration date on music. Right. What I will say is that the body, you know, middle age and et cetera, the body does start to like 
uh, show signs of aging and the voice is no different from any other muscle group in the body, right? So um, it's a use it or lose it kind of thing. So mm -hmm. people feel like, oh, I, you know, I haven't sung in a while and my voice is super rusty and I'll never get it back. Not true, but you gotta get back to the gym, basically. Yeah. You know, start getting back to the gym, get back in shape, and then you have to keep exercising your voice to maintain, just like your body, the rest of your body. Right. And the longer you don't use it, the longer it will take to get back up to working order. But it's never too late, ever. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I see, you know, um, and I've come across like so many um, singers who kind of had a crossroads. Maybe they graduated from college. Like I had a guest on the show. She was actually in my listener spotlight. And mm. she... Um, she was a listener and, and we got actually gotten together for lunch and she told me her story. And I was like, this is so common where she was doing a lot of music in, um, in college. I can't remember if she'd actually uh, majored in music, but graduated, had a crossroads. Should I go on a cruise ship gig or should I go into marketing or PR, whatever she'd gone into? And then she was like, well, I've got a lot of debt <laughs> being a student, you know, and so she decided to, um, you know, take the safe, regular job. And, um, you know, all these years later, um, and the thing is that I found is I don't know if anything is like exactly safe, you know, because she was, she enjoyed her work. Um, she rose up in, in a couple of different companies she was at one for maybe 15 years. She was um, vice president and then she got laid off. You know? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. what job is foolproof, safe, like with a total safety net? I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, you know. Um, so, I don't know, there are skills I think that we, that um, develop. You know, I've noticed that there are skills that get developed and everything. When you go, maybe go into those jobs, those um, those day jobs and all of that. I, I think I don't think anything's ever wasted. That's that's what I'm I'm kind of getting at. You know what I mean? For sure, absolutely. And I can imagine that the skills one learned in, let's say, that first job that lasted for 15 years, and then all of a sudden it's gone. The skills that one learned there can be applied in various other fields, you know, if someone decides to completely change career. Yeah. Um, I know it's a scary thing. That's why I think it's good to just stay versatile, stay aware of changing changes in the weather, you know, mm -hmm. and try and, and keep multiple plates spinning, at least from the musician side of things. Right. You know, if I, for whatever reason, lost my UNT job, I'd be okay. I, I, would be, I would be okay. I have four other plates spinning. They're not spinning maybe as, as um, much as the UNT job. That is a big job. It's grown into a big job. It started out as just a small plate, you know, but it's grown into this enormous tray, you know, that is spinning yeah. this thing, right? Um, but if that plate were to stop spinning, I would just turn something else into an enormous tray. And, but I would keep four other plates spinning though, is, is the thing. Yeah. Yeah, like now with the voiceover thing, you know, I speak Spanish pretty well, 
but I would love to get my Spanish to a point where I could, I could um, audition for voiceovers in Spanish. Mm. Like I can do jingles in Spanish and I can, you know, I can speak, I can pretty much say what, what I want to say, what I need to say. But I mean, those Spanish speaking voiceover people, they speak very, very quickly and with just such precision and it's amazing. So I want to get my, that's what I'm doing now. I'm just like fiercely working on Spanish, you know, to try. Because I mean, you look at how many people are competing for those and the list, it's like an eighth of the number of people or one sixteenth the number of people. It's so few people compared to who are competing for the jobs in English. Yeah. So I'm thinking, hey, now let's try that, you know? So for the, you know, um people who would be wondering like the working being a working singer what are the plates that you um all of the plates that you're spinning mm. so i have my teaching plate of course my unt plate i have my um arranging i arrange choral arrangements for jazz choir and pop choirs and i i publish through hal leonard sound music publication and then i write original pieces for choirs and i publish those myself oh, wow. And I'm about to join up with um, some other arrangers and form a collective um, mm -hmm. of arrangers that, and we're going to have a different kind of publishing company too. So, so that is an interesting and wonderful plate, fairly large plate actually, um, because if you're an arranger and a noted arranger, then you get asked to be, let's say, a conductor for an all-state jazz choir. You know, so like later. Later this year, I'm going to go conduct the New York All-State Jazz Choir. And then in February, I'm the conductor of the Idaho All-State Jazz Choir. And, wow. you know, it's, that's a different thing. And you get asked to go and judge these vocal jazz um, choir festivals. Mm -hmm. You start on a panel and you score, or you go up on stage and you give clinics, or you go to someone's school and you visit all day and work with the choirs. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a very serious plate, that plate the educational slash arranging publishing plate. Mm. Um, I've got another side plate on that, which is publishing music for children. Oh, wow. And so I published a, um, I wrote a, a musical for um, school age kids, like second to fifth grade with a writer named, um, an educator named Sharon Birch. Mm. And so we did a musical called Freddie the Frog and the Jungle Jazz. And um, yeah, and um, she has a whole book series called Freddie the Frog and it teaches kids music really adorable and awesome so we joined together and did a jazz musical for kids and then we just recently published this um thing called jazz and kids which is like an activity book with like original songs and movement you know and classroom activities for a swing in classroom so you know we're trying to get jazz into into the classroom nice and young um and i'm arranging more songs for school age children like kids whose voices are changing mm. I learned a lot about the younger side of, of education in music and jazz specifically. Mm. Um, and then I got my little voiceover played. And then I have my own band, like my own music, my own band. And those are really kind of two, two plates because I have my band, Rosanna Eckert, you know, band. And I just released an album and I'm, you know, trying to tour more and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I have the plate with my Brazilian band, Bersuka, which is really just kind of getting off the ground in terms of like, we have a new album that we're looking to release sometime in 2020, but we're going to really ramp things up and, um, you know, do some really more high profile things. So I, I'm, I'm really pleased about where that band is going. Um, and then I sing in other bands. I sing with this big band 
writer named Drew Zaremba, and he's got a project coming out soon. And I sing with this um, trumpeter named Mike Steinell. And we did an album last year, and now we're going to do another one. And I love gigging with him, and I gig with him all the time. And then I just gig around, you know, like Roseanne and Friends. And we do gigs at different places. And I do some, you know, solo piano and voice things too. Mm. I'm working on that as a way to push myself to keep playing the piano, learn things. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think if there are any other plates. Um, I mean, the pedagogy plate is a little bit of a plate. I, you know, learning more about vocal pedagogy, like how to be voice and the inner workings of the voice. So right. I'm, I'm really going down that. I started a class here, vocal pedagogy for non-classical styles. So I'm really kind of, I'm going to all these symposiums and workshops and I'm learning more about the science of that, mm. like a mini plate within a plate, you know? Yeah. But I think a lot of people teach style, but I don't know that a lot of people, I don't know that every teacher is as obsessed with the whole science technique part of it. So mm. I'm really trying to be really, really on it. And then I'm going to, oh, I wrote a book. So there's the book writing thing. I wrote a book called Singing with Expression, but I have two other book ideas. Mm. Sight reading. I want to write that book. I want to write an improv book. Um, so yeah, you know, just projects and things. Awesome. <laughs> Tell us about a little bit about your album that came out. Yeah. So Sailing Home, it's called Sailing Home. Mm -hmm. It was produced by a very good friend of mine and a, and a really great um, musician named Peter Eldridge. He's um, he lived in New York for a long time and, and is a member of the group New York Voices. Um, and they've been around 30 years and they've, they're just really a spectacular touring vocal jazz ensemble. And he's a songwriter, a wonderful songwriter and singer. And his albums just, to me, they just sound beautiful. Mm. And so for this latest record, I decided it would be all originals instead of half and half, you know, half arrangements, half originals. I'm like, nope, it's gonna be all originals. I did some co-writing. Um, I, more collaborative um, and he produced it I got someone outside of me and my husband to produce it and I was just like I would love for it to sound like how your records sound because it's wonderful so I got to see his process and it was really eye-opening and amazing and inspiring and wonderful um, and I got to work with a guitarist in Utah that I is a good friend also a really great player Corey Christiansen so I teaming up with him uh, and making this more of a guitar-driven album uh, instead of, I write at the piano, so everything's always piano, piano, piano. But, yeah. um, but the guitar was a really strong voice in this record, so it's cool. I mean, it's, a, it's eclectic, you know? The album has a lot of different styles from mm -hmm. bluesy to funky to ethereal and modern to, you know, kind of sensitive ballad to swingy, jazzy, traditional, it's just, you know, kind of poppy. I mean, it's got a lot of different styles on it. And, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm the bass player and drummer are people I play with a lot here. Um, the drummer is Steve Barnes, who's so well-versed in so many styles and he's really an exciting drummer to play with. He's very musical and young Hyo, who just, he's on bass and he just lays it down like crazy. And then I had some special guests. So it was nice. a fun, fun, fun project for sure. It sounds like there is a, of thriving music community where you are. Like, what is it like to be a part of that? And if somebody is kind of on the outside, how do they get in? Yeah, it is thriving here. It's a big place. The Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is enormous. Um, mm. And there are a lot of little suburbs everywhere. 
and every suburb has its own symphony and every suburb has a million little wine bars that want music and restaurants that have music. Everybody wants live music. I mean, it's live music is thriving here. It's not all listening rooms or anything, you know, um, but there are, there are a lot of places to go hear all kinds of music and um, the arts are valued, I think in Dallas. I think part of why we have so much talent obviously is because we have two really large schools in, in Denton. Mm-hmm. Um, UNT being just such a huge music school and TWU having strong, a lot of strong music that comes out of there and music therapy too. But then other universities in the town, you know, from the Dallas Community College District and the University of Texas District, um, yeah, a lot of great music programs there too. And they all have concert series. And, you know, so gosh, there are so many places to play and concert series. And in the summer, there's the, you know, Jazz Under the Stars and Festival Outdoor, this and that and the other. It's just, there's always somewhere to play. Mm. I think there's room for everybody. That makes it a nice vibe as opposed to like, there are three good gigs and you better get off my turf. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are a lot of good place, places to play. Yeah. So I think the first thing to do is, um, you know, maybe Google anything, right? Dallas and then whatever music you want and go see where one of the places is to play. And then just go meet some musicians. Go meet them, they'll be very nice. And then they will tell you like when Steve Barnes, this drummer who I used on this record, when he moved here from LA, he was playing studio sessions in LA and stuff mm-hmm. and, and live gigs. And he moved here and the drummer I, I had worked a lot with at the time, um, mm-hmm. you know, took him under his wing and was like, we'll get you set up, buddy. And he gave him some gigs and he would say, if he needed a sub, he would send him as a sub. And wow. it's just such a wonderful, I mean, you know, so you couldn't believe it. Wow. Really? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because there's enough to go around here. Mm. So yeah, I mean, and, and gosh, if if you can play an instrument and sing, you can work seven nights a week if you want to. Well, that's something to think about. Uh, certainly for all of us working singers who want to work more, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been really wonderful and real, just like there's so many different things that we covered. I think it's going to be like so useful, you know, for everybody. Um, And I just really appreciated your time. Thank you so much. This is really lovely. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Do you have any, I don't know, anything that you would want to leave, um, leave the working singer with any bits of advice? I would just, my Big advice, keep learning, mm. keep, um, keep saying yes, mm. keep, keep saying yes and stay innovative. Ooh. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Awesome. You guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I did. I enjoyed that thoroughly. So let's get into the singing lessons. Number one, there is a path to everything. And if you research that path, get on the path work hard on the path, and don't get off the path. You can achieve success. That is how it works. Number two, anyone can sing and anyone can pick it back up. There's no expiration date on music. Number three, as you research your path, you discover if it's what you want to do. Number four, in this market, versatility means work. Number five, if you can play the piano and sing, you'll have a gig anywhere in the world, probably forever. That's a huge, wonderful skill. Number six, start saying yes. Oh my goodness. 
Absolutely, guys. I love it. I love all of this advice. I really hope that you guys enjoyed that and got something out of it. You know, no matter what stage you are at in your career and in your life, I think a lot of this uh, career advice, you know, applies to other areas in your life. So I hope that it's something that you can use, something that is of value to you. So you can find all of this um, information, everything that we mentioned, um, all of the links in the show notes at uh, Jamila, not Jamila, at theworkingsingerpodcast.com. And just go there and all of the links will be available to you. And definitely listen to um, Rosanna's latest record, Sailing Home. It's just gorgeous. Really lovely. Very beautiful voice. Really beautiful. So if you haven't already, join the Facebook group. Um, we put on events and things like that. And mainly that is where we congregate and discuss what's going to happen <laughs> in that Facebook group. You can go to your Facebook search and type in the Working Singer podcast community, knock on the door, and I will open it for you. So that's how that works. <laughs> and you can also find the podcast on Instagram. I created a uh, podcast Instagram page for the podcast. So uh, that is, as you would guess, the Working Singer podcast, or at the Working Singer podcast is the handle for that. You can see my personal or artist page there at Jamila Ford Music and visit any of the websites, theworkingsingerpodcast.com, jamilaford.com to find out more info and, um, and reach out about anything you would like to reach out about. Oh, I also teach lessons now, so please reach out to me about that. I would love to talk to you about your singer journey and if I can help you. Um, with that, I would be honored to be a part of it. So please email me at Jamila, J-A-M-I-L-A, at JamilaFord.com. I would love to talk to you about that. All right, guys. So I so hope you enjoyed that. I, it was wonderful to check in with you again this week. If you have any thoughts about this episode or any of the other episodes, please comment, email me, um, come into the Facebook group and and post and talk about it. I love to have these conversations. And of course, share this episode or any of the other episodes that might have touched you or helped you with a fellow singer friend. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the others, please share it and subscribe because you don't want to miss any episode. They come out every Monday and you don't want to miss a single thing. So guys, it was wonderful to check in with you again. And as always, I love you. I appreciate you. And I will talk to you again next week. So I love singers who are very, very sensitive and singers who are very gutsy, you know? If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, 
performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jamila Ford, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. I am so excited that you're here. Happy New Year. I think I can still say that. I think you've got all of January to say that, and then you have to move on. (laughs) So Happy New Year, and I hope that it is treating you well so far. It's been pretty great to me. I got to say, you know, uh, if you listened to last week's episode, I was kind of uh, opining about my website, theworkingsingerpodcast.com, because... Uh, it was down, and there was some stuff going on with the host. There were hosting issues and all of that kind of thing, and I wasn't really getting that much um, help from the host provider. It was dragging on, and a listener who heard the episode last week reached out, sent me an email. The amazing Dean Martin, not of the Rat Pack fame, <laughs> but uh, you know, reached out and and said that that was something he could help me with, and he was happy to do it. And he saved my life last week, so I really, really appreciate it. Um, it was very frustrating putting out episodes and not having really anywhere um, to send you guys to. Um, so I really and deeply and truly appreciate that and did learn, you know, was kind of my lesson in making sure I can reach my backups and all of that kind of thing. And, you you know, you can't just be too reliant on a hosting company. Uh, depending on what you use, I think they are, some of them can only be so knowledgeable. Anyway, I'm just very, very grateful for that. Dean also has a website of his own for his uh, web development company, dean-martin.com, and he has put out a couple of podcasting um, episodes. He's had some of his own podcasts, and he sent me a few episodes. One was on Barbershop Quartet. One featured a Barbershop Quartet. Um, Dean's heavy into that, so uh, he had a podcast uh, devoted to that, which I thought was very cool. I know nothing about that world, so um, but I've always admired how tight those harmonies are and what a great ear everybody has who does it. So um, I'm going to put a link up for that podcast and another podcast that Dean has. I know we've got interests as singers outside of singing. And if poker is your interest, well, um, Dean was involved in a poker podcast or is involved in a poker podcast. So I'll put the link up for that as well. I find that fascinating. You know, there's all these little, there are all these various worlds going on within this one world, which I, I always find fascinating. And, you know, you can get, you get very uh, swept up in your own, but it's definitely cool and interesting to take a peek into somebody else's for sure. So again, Dean, you're awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, that got me to thinking, um, just to thank all of you for listening. And I've met so many wonderful people doing this podcast. You know, I wanted it to just, I didn't know what I wanted to have happen, but I just wanted to start it. Um, It was in me to do it. Um, And as a result, I have just met some really lovely, caring, kind, giving people. And, you know, I... I'm just very grateful to have met so many of you at, at the events that we have and um, 
and all of it. But, you know, just a big thank you to everybody who has been listening all year and um, is continuing to listen and is also sharing it with with friends. Um, That really does help the podcast. So thanks to all of you guys. So I'm very excited that my site's up. It's a WordPress site, so, you know, I can go in and and do a lot of things to it. I gave it a a little bit of a new look, so you should go and check it out, theworkingsingerpodcast.com. Tell me what you think. And listen to any episodes that um, might interest you, maybe some that you might have missed. There are many up there. (laughs) So our guest today is Dallas-based singer Rosanna Eckert. Uh, she has worked as a live performer as well as behind the scenes as an arranger, clinician, studio singer, voiceover artist, book author, and principal lecturer of vocal jazz in the prestigious jazz studies program at the University of North Texas. She was the first vocalist in UNT's history to earn a master's degree in jazz studies. The school then hired her as, a, as its first private jazz voice teacher. Very cool. Um, and then we also talk about Rosanna's fifth studio recording, Sail, uh, Sailing Home, which was released June 21st. Oh, my wedding anniversary, um, 2019. Praised as bright and imaginative, alluring, and world-class, it was produced by singer-songwriter Peter Eldridge, who also played piano on the project. And I've heard it, and it's just lovely. And Rosanna's voice sounds really amazing. You guys have to hear this record. I'll have links and everything in the show notes. Um, So we chat about her journey from being a French horn player to studying vocal jazz and cultivating a career in the jazz field. We also get into her teaching philosophy and her thoughts on the value in thoroughly researching a music school before you apply to it. It's really good stuff. And yeah, it's things, they are things that we need to think about no matter what stage we're at, if we want to go back to school, if we're just starting. These are things you really need to think about if you're going to really uh, just be effective there and, and kind of maximize your time. I feel like no matter young or how old, you don't want to waste any time anywhere. So it's important to do your research. Awesome. So I'm excited about this, guys. Without any further ado, Rosanna Eckert. Rosanna, I am so excited that you are here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we're going to get right into it. So where are you from? Uh, Where'd you grow up? Originally, I'm from El Paso, Texas. And uh, I grew up there. I went to all, I I lived there my whole life, except for a couple years in uh, preschool when we lived in Dallas for a brief moment. But then most of my life I spent in El Paso and I grew up there. Yeah, then I came to Dallas for um, college. Oh, wow. And was your um, family musical? Was there a lot of music around growing up? There was a lot of music growing up. Yeah. Big Hispanic household, um, lots of cousins and aunts and uncles, and everybody sang. Everyone sang. And my parents are hobby singers, um, serious hobby singers. They sing a lot of barbershop music. Mm. And there's, there's an infatuation with harmony in our house, and it has been that way for a long time. So we listen to all kinds of groups um, and they love other types of music too. They played all kinds of music growing up in the house. My mom knew how to play some piano as a kid and my dad taught himself guitar. So yeah, there's a love of music that I grew up with for sure. And so how did, um, how did singing develop for you like personally? Well, it's, it's kind of a winding road, that road, Um, you know, being around, 
a, a family that loves to sing and singing is a big part of our culture. Mm -hmm. Everyone just sang, right? So it just felt like a natural thing to do. And then my parents with the barbershop harmony, they had me singing harmony and then little quartets. And I remember being a kid and I would go to Disneyland and sing with the Dapper Dance Quartet. And I knew the tenor part and you know, like, it's like, we always sang harmony, but I was a harmony singer exclusively uh, until I got to college. Oh. And um, I played the French horn, that was my instrument. And so all of my private lessons and all of my um, ensemble rehearsals and all of my really group team music experiences were on my horn. Oh. And I went to college as a horn player and got a horn scholarship and my first degree was as a horn player. So oh. I just, one of my friends um, said, oh, you should, you know, she was a harmony singer too, like in barbershop. And she said, you should do the jazz singers at UNT. It's so much fun and anyone can audition and you should do it for fun. So my last couple of years, I did it just for fun. Yeah. That changed everything. I mean, I was completely sold. I was mm -hmm. utterly infatuated with it. And I remember I, somebody, you know, the director gave me a solo that first year of you know just a little eight measure lyric solo and i i still remember not knowing how to sound as a soloist and not having any vibrato and you know just sounding really plain like a little instrumentalist sort of singing my choir part you know and that was my first i'm a soloist moment so it just sort of grew from there but i i was a late bloomer as a soloist for sure i had to, i came at it from the instrumentalist slash group singer okay avenue and yeah then i just kind of started sprinting to try and catch up oh wow so what uh did you have singers that you listened to to kind of inform um your choices like as a soloist for sure yeah once i really figured out ooh, i want to try and work on my voice as a soloist um i mean of course ella fitzgerald is a huge influence right yeah. but i think also, I was really infatuated with Carmen McRae and Shirley Horn. Mm. Really, those were like the two on either side of the spectrum. You know, just sassy and swinging and brah, you know, brassy yeah. and, 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 you know, scatty and improv -y. And I, I, was, I was so um, infatuated with Carmen and still am. Mm. And then Shirley, you know, swinging, but in a different way and mm. understated. And then the ballads and the tone and and the honesty of, so like those are the bookends of my love of the and then everybody falls sort of somewhere i think in there um i i grew into loving betty carter i was very influenced by a singer in san francisco named kitty margolis actually who's kind of on the betty, do you know kitty yeah on the betty carter side of things mm -hmm. she came here early on um to unt and i just yeah she's just so gutsy and i so i love singers who are very very sensitive and singers who are very gutsy you know mm -hmm. so i i kind of dabble between those two sides but um yeah kitty has this recording a live recording of summertime where mm -hmm. she takes like a gajillion choruses and it's so gutsy oh it's one of my favorite things it makes me laugh every time i hear it I oh wow! Love it, you know. Just like every time I hear Shirley Horn's "Loving You" recording, I just melt, and I I can't ever get tired of that. Mm. So you know, in between, there's Chet Baker and there's Nat King Cole, and mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I mean, just so many. I'm I'm a, a huge 
listener of music. Um, an instrumentalist, you know, a big influence on my singing for sure, because I, I love to improvise. And being a horn player, I just have this sort of, you know, I, I relate to horn players too in, on that side. So, um, so yeah, I listen to a lot of Miles and Coltrane and Stan Getz and J.J. Johnson, you know, stuff like that. Do you still play your horn? I mean, I can. I don't have any chops. <laughs> you have to play a brass instrument. You got to really play every day. Yeah. But I could fool you for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Fool me for about 10 minutes. That's and then my chops die. But I mean, I still sound like I play, you know? Yeah. Um, and I have a trumpet and a flugelhorn, and I have more occasion to play those. So every now and then on a gig, there'll be a reason for me to play horn parts on something. And I could play like a tune or two. But then yeah. my muscles are just, they get so tired now really fast. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it does involve upkeep, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. So then, um, so you start uh, soloing in college and you graduate, and then what happens? So I graduate and I'm utterly confused because mm. I have a degree in classical music theory and a minor in French horn performance. And now I have this sort of infatuation with singing solo and jazz and learning how to scat sing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Yeah. So I talked to my horn professor about it and he says, well, you know, I said, what should I get a master's in? What should I do? You know, and he said, sounds like you should get a master's in jazz studies. And I couldn't believe he told me that. I really couldn't because I, it meant leaving his studio and it meant changing path. It was just such a bold thing to do. And I still thank him for it, even though he's like, oh, I didn't do anything. You know, I, I just, Thank you, William Scharnberg, for doing that. You know, that was that changed my life. It, it really did. So um, I did. I pers I got a master's degree in jazz studies, and I had to, you know, I had like a year and a half of freshman and sophomore classes, you know, undergrad classes to take that I hadn't taken in my undergrad. So oh, all of a sudden, I'm in classes with freshmen and sophomores, and just starting over, really. And then I had to take lessons. I had to pass a classical voice jury like barrier in order to declare my instrument as voice. And I'd never taken classical voice in my life. So I took two and a half years of classical voice sort of on the side to prepare for this barrier exam. And mm. I'm cramming all the diction and just, you know, that, that was amazing. That really, really um, helped me develop a whole other side of my singing. So I'm so grateful wow. for that. So again, it was just sort of, yeah, like a, a hustle race to, to get caught up on things. Um, I was transcribing a million recordings and scat, you know, I was in all the improv classes here at UNT and mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to play changes on the piano and, you know, all, all those things. And I got a degree in um, a master's in jazz studies as a singer, which mm. I guess nobody had done that as a singer yet, the master's in jazz studies. So they were like, what should we do with you? You know? Um, mm -hmm. But after I graduated, they were like, yeah, we need a private teacher in jazz voice here. We, we need to do that. Yeah. How about you? And I was like, awesome. So wow. I know I, it, it was a really fortuitous thing. I had worked my tail off. So I, you know, I'd made a good impression. I still felt like, wow, I'm really pretty new at this, you know, but I had paid some serious dues and I'd been singing in a cover band and I'd done weddings and I'd, you know, been doing gigs. And I mean, I yeah. really had paid up for a lot of lost time. But uh, yeah, then all of a sudden I was, you know, it was just part-time, like nine students. Yeah. Um, but then it grew 
and it grew and it grew and it grew. And now it's 20 years later and I'm still here. And this department has grown, you know, tremendously. And so, yeah, that, that's been a really amazing journey for sure. And how did you, um, come in? You also do, um, voiceover work, correct? I do. I started doing that about, oh, maybe six years ago. Hmm. Yeah. About for you. Well, you know, when I got the UNT thing, like that, when, when that job came to be, it was only an adjunct position. It was a part-time thing. So I needed some other income. So I was, I might've still been teaching French horn lessons, frankly, at a junior high somewhere. And then I was also, um, I got into the studio business because somebody that I was dating, who I'm now married to, um, he got a job at a, a full-time job at a recording studio that did jingles. Mm. like commercial jingles and they decided to hire some new singers and they hired and they you know he picked me <laughs> and uh so uh so i went there and and um i was there for many years as a kind of regular singer and i got to know the jingle community mm. and you know once you're in at one studio then people kind of know you and so then if you do a good job you know i could read really well with my horn background and yeah i was very serious about my voice and I was working on it all the time, you know, yeah. and, um, and so, you know, I tried to just be cool. And, and so I started working at another studio. And so then I had this little studio biz on the side and then people started encouraging me with the voiceover thing. And they would say, you know, you really, your voice is this and that you'd probably try that. So at some point I finally, especially once the jingle business started to decline a little bit as, yeah. as more studios popped up and as, you know, producers started to retire. Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, now's a good time to, to start another plate spinning. So I made a demo and I got an agent with the help of somebody I knew in the jingle business. And, um, and it's been great. I do auditions all the time. Um, yeah. And it's been a really, it's lucrative. It's very competitive. Mm. sometimes it's you know raining gigs and auditions and and i land them yeah 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 and other times it's super dry and you know yeah. or i'll do 20 auditions and not land anything and it's like ah you know goodness gracious but the fact that it's not the only plate i'm spinning is what makes it just kind of like a fun side thing to do and um let me see as far as that goes do you are you generally recording that kind of stuff from home or are you still so all of the auditions are done from home. We have a home studio set up in our um, master bedroom closet because of all the clothing, like stopping the sound, you know, it's the deadest room in the house. So it's just, there's always a Neumann hanging from a giant, you know, mic stand and a computer that's always set up in the middle of the closet, which is kind of not that convenient for getting dressed, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but I do all the, all the auditions from there. And then sometimes there's a client who that's, you know, they want, they want you to just record and, and mix from home. Mm -hmm. um, I, a few repeat clients who are like that. And then when they need something, they just say, Hey, I need this. Here's the script. And you just do it at home and send it back. And it's great. Yeah. Most of the time though, when I audition for something, um, when it's time to do the final, I have to go to a studio and be produced yeah, sometimes by, you know, the team that is producing that commercial. Very cool. I love that. Just having that sort of diversity and it's, you know, the gig economy these days. So <laughs> versatility is the name of the game. That is for sure. 
So um, I guess back to singing, what has um, singing life been like for you? you you've been, um, you know, teaching at the, the school and everything, you've got the curriculum going, but as far as, you know, being a singer and performing and, and all of it, what, what has life been like? Well, I think initially I, my philosophy was just sort of to say yes, say yes to everything and then figure out how to do it. So in college, I sang in a lot of bands, you know, there were school bands, school groups, and then groups that were like trying to really do the, um, the thing where they, pre you know, prepare a show like, okay, this is our show and we're going to target really fancy steakhouses with a stage and, you know, or whatever. Right. So I just said, so I was in a Caribbean band and I was in a Brazilian band and I mm -hmm. was in a party band. And then I subbed in a, in a cover band, a serious cover band. That was very eye-opening because I realized I don't practice singing loudly enough. Mm. I, you know, I would start to really wail the way they did on the records. And it was like, am I pitchy? I didn't, you know, some things would come out of my mouth that were surprising. I thought, oh my gosh, what is happening? And then I'd be exhausted. Mm. So that motivated me to really start to practice at lots of dynamics, you know, especially really loudly, which I don't know, we just... Like, where am I going to do that in my apartment? You know, it was always very strange to practice so loudly, but, um, mm -hmm. but I really learned that I needed to do that. So the cover band thing was really interesting. And then a friend of mine from back home had a wedding band. So I sang in his wedding band for a decade, played some horn parts, sang jazz and cover tunes. It was like a second school for me. Mm. That was amazing. And I did that yeah, for 10 years. Wow. I had my, and then I, you know, along the way, like in 2001, I recorded a little duo album with the pianist. And then 2003, I did my first full band recording and I had like, I kind of really got my band together. Mm. It was with some original songs and I, I was so into songwriting. So I was practicing piano all the time and trying to write songs. And um, so that album, I really tried to promote a lot and it was called At the End of the Day. Yeah. And then I recorded another album and then I did another duo record and then I did the, you know, so different recording projects along the way. And, um, and, the, you know, and then a few other bands along the way. Now I have a different Brazilian band called Brasuca and we are, oh, we have so much fun. I just love it. It's like mostly original music and, and we all write together as a team, which I'd never done before. Mm. That was odd. You have to do everything. You have to write everything, arrange everything and produce everything, you know, and, Oh my gosh, this is like the season of collaboration for me now. Mm. I want to co-write. I want to co-produce. I want to, well, someone else to produce. I want, you know, oh, yeah. it's so much fun. I'm loving that. But I think I had to do my own thing for a while before I could feel like a worthy collaborator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe not only that, just kind of know who you are, you know. Um. Definitely. Yeah. Who, yeah. What kind of song, what is my voice? What am I doing? Yeah, I had to kind of do my own my own thing for a while. But yeah, I've gosh, I've sung so many things. I've sung jingles. I've sung on corporate shows. I've, I mean, I've sung a, a corporate show with twelve thousand people screaming, and I'm dressed all in sequins, you know, singing about some kind of product. I mean, I've just done all all kinds of gigs. I just I say yes. That is what I do. What kind of, um, you know, you're working with a lot of I guess, young people being at a school and all of that. What kind of advice do you give to them? Right. I know it's tricky business. Um, 
when they first get here, when they first get to my studio, which is usually their third year if they're an undergrad or if they're a grad student, it's right away. Um, we talk about it immediately. Like what's, what's, what in a perfect, what I say is in a perfect world, perfect world, you could like rub a, you know, genie in a lamp, perfect world. What does your life look like? And what role does music play in your life? Because if you say in a perfect world, then there's no realism that has to take, that has to be a part of that scenario. Well, in a perfect world, I'd, you know, win five Grammys and blah, blah, blah. And then we go from there. Okay, let's talk about the path to that. Like, there is a path to that. People have had a path to that and people have won five Grammys. That's not something that has not been done. That is something that has been done. So let's look at the path. And it's so interesting how, you know, I wish someone had done this for me. I've had to figure this out on my own um, the hard way. But I think it has made me a better teacher because... There is a path to everything. And if you research the path, get on the path, work hard on the path and don't get off the path mm. and achieve success. That is how it works. At least here, you know, in, in where we live. So um, I had a voiceover um, colleague kind of tell me as much one time. He, was, he had a particular goal in mind and he was like, if you just research the path and you get on it and you stay on it, you will achieve success. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think that might be true. (laughs) (laughs) And I firmly believe that it's true. Absolutely. So that's, that's what we do is we research the path. And then of course, as you research the path, you discover if that really is what they want to do. (laughs) Because when you see the hard work and, and the necessary work that has to be done, to, to achieve a particular thing, it really makes you go, oh, okay, wait, is that, is that what I want to do? That's a lot of time spent doing that. So, so that's what we do. And then um, in addition to that, again, versatility in, in this market, versatility means work. So we try to, to graduate extremely well-rounded people. Mm. You got to have like have piano chops, have arranging chops, know your instrument inside and out, be able to tell someone else how to use their instrument inside and out, be able to write songs, be able to transcribe recordings, be able to use software that engraves music like Finale or Spalius, but like really well, Mm. be able to arrange for horns and strings and just all the things, make a video, use logic, Mm. et cetera. If you can do all those things, I mean, goodness gracious, if you can play piano and sing, you'll have a gig anywhere in the world, probably forever. That's such a, you know, I mean, to be able to hire one person and make music, that's a huge, wonderful skill. Yeah. Anywhere in the world, that's a wonderful skill. So, so that's what, that's what our philosophy is. It's just like, okay, let's Mm. look fierce, you know, really fierce and well-rounded and then start saying yes. Mm. I love that. What, what do you, um, what did you struggle through in, in like your path and how did you kind of overcome it? Well, initially I, I definitely had the identity crisis. I know, am I a horn player? Am I a singer? Am I a jazz singer? Am I too late to this game? I'm Mm. way late bloomer. I don't know my instrument from a hole in the ground. Um, so that identity crisis was pretty serious. Like what, I'm just going to change path? I was supposed to be teaching classical theory at a small university and playing in a local symphony. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. 
that was the original plan, you know? Um, so that was a pretty, yeah, that was pretty the scary thing. And then after that, I think my, getting my technique um, figured out has been the biggest journey because there wasn't at the time, you know, this was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, 20 years ago, 22, three years ago, there, there wasn't a jazz private teacher here for voice. Mm. So my, I did take classical lessons. That was very helpful, but that was a different type of technique. So right. I had to figure a lot of things out by myself. So, right. And there was no internet with YouTube videos of people going, here's your mixed voice. You know, there was none of that either. Right. So it was a lot of sort of, you know, sometimes this is funny. There, there, there was a, I remember this one girl who came and took some lessons from me, sort of outside of our program. She wasn't a jazz major or anything, but she came and took lessons. She had studied musical theater and she had such power in her middle range without like flipping into head voice. Like she was able to take her chest voice really high, but it wasn't, she didn't look to be in pain, you know, and I could not do what she was doing. So mm -hmm. I just asked her, how did you learn how to do that? <laughs> you know, she came to me to learn jazz style and have swing. So I didn't feel embarrassed mm. to ask her, how did you learn how to do that? And so she gave me some exercises. Oh, well, my other teacher taught me so many, told me to go, nay, 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 or whatever, right? Yeah. So then, of course, I went home and religiously started doing the things that she said. And I'll be darned, I got some results. And I thought, uh, uh, uh. So anytime I would hear someone able to do something and I had access to them, mm. I would just ask them, how did you learn how to do that? <laughs> and I was just going, trying to pick up knowledge anywhere I could, you know? But yeah. the technique journey is definitely, that's, yeah, that's been a biggie um, for me for sure. And then I think, yeah, getting the guts to, figuring out the music business thing as the world changes, well, that's just, you know, you have to just commit to doing it. Okay, I guess I'm doing this. You know, are you gonna be left behind or are you gonna, figure it out and keep changing well all right let's do this you know um yeah those are the those are the main hurdles what <laughs> what does it mean to swing i haven't asked any jazz singers that what does it mean to you to swing to swing well swinging you know refers to the eighth notes right um and it it changes the subdivision from straight eighth note subdivision to triplet underlying triplet subdivision. And then within that triplet subdivision, there is the sort of unspoken um, pushing and pulling against the quarter note. Mm. So like if the quarter note's here, one, two, three, four, one, and you're gonna be on top of the beat, the triplet is gonna be on the fast side. A triplet, 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 triplet. You know, that's kind of yeah. like, you're almost beating each quarter note to the punch, just a little. Yeah. If you're right in the center, Triple the triple the triple the triple the triple the triple. They're super even, and you're dead center. If you want to swing like harder, then you almost act as though the tempo is slower, but you mildly catch up every every few triplets. So it's like here's the quarter note, and instead of going triple the triple the triple the triple it, you go triple the triple the triple the triple the triple it. You know, you kind of pull against it. Like go slightly slower and then speed up, slightly slower and then speed up. And that tension and release, which is a really subtle thing, woo, it's really cool. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really, really cool thing. How does a person learn it and practice it? Is it basically about lessons? Is it about listening? I think, I mean, there's listening, obviously, everybody's got, just got to listen, right? right? But it's sort of like learning any other kind of language. If I went to France and just listened to French all day, I would, def I would definitely get to know French. Like I would start to recognize some patterns and words. Oh, I, I've heard that word before. I might even know what it means. And I would definitely recognize French when I heard it. But it's different than going, okay, now you're going to speak French. And then you have to come up with the stuff on your own. So listening, yes, but then eventually you have to deeply, for example, deep, for example, deeply transcribe um, a recording and sing along with it and try to get it to where you are literally, you could be a Vegas impersonator of whoever that artist is. Mm. And you can deliver it without the recording, exactly like the recording from memory. You can do that. If you can do that, then that language is in you. Right. You know, so whether people are doing it in a studied formal environment of, I am transcribing this piece and I am then going to sing it for someone for a grade, or whether they're six years old and just singing along with the radio so much that they know it from memory and can literally imitate it to a T. It doesn't matter. It's the same result, mm. which is deep imitation, deep imitation. And then, Ah, regurgitation. How would you suggest somebody learns how to scat? Yeah, the scat thing. <laughs> I know. That is a language like Spanish or French or any other language too. So the, I think the primary component to the language, the accent, if you will, that sounds so dorky, but it's the rhythm. The rhythm is really the heart of the language. Mm. So um, sometimes people stress, especially singers, they'll stress about the harmony first. Like, oh, I want to sing the right notes. But if they sing all the right notes and the rhythm is not there, mm. they will not sound like they are speaking that language at all. Wow. Flip side, if you sing all the right rhythms and the notes are a little dodgy, you'll still sound like you're singing jazz. You know, wow. if I go like, you know, and none of the pitches land, it still sounds jazzy because like the accent is there. So it still sounds like, oh, you've heard jazz, you know, jazz, you know, that kind of thing. So the, the rhythm is really where you start hmm. and you need to get to a point where you can turn on a metronome and freestyle.